Nowadays, it's, you know, iPod touches and expensive, you know, uh, gear that's, that's a lot more expensive. So we're trying to kind of figure it all out. But, you know, th- th- this time of year, it's so, so fun. It's, it can be a little bit crazy, but it's really a lot of fun as well. And as you start to, to get these presents accumulating under the tree, uh, there's some people that love the surprise. You know, I, I just can't wait to be surprised. We, my wife and I were having lunch with this a woman who I play volleyball with who was talking about her, having her kids. She has had five kids, and every one of them, she had to know what she was having, a boy or a girl. She, she didn't want to know, I'm saying, uh, what she was having, a boy or a girl. Whereas Des and I, we're like, we've got to know. There's some of us that we just have to know, right? Uh, when I was either sixth grade or seventh grade, uh, my parents were gone for a little while, and uh, I opened every one of my presents. That was under the tree. Every single one. Is this working yet? Hello? 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 Not yet. Okay, I'll keep talking here. Uh, And what I did was I took a razor blade and I very carefully 
just cut right along the seam and, and opened it very carefully, opened every one, and then took tape and put it right back over the exact same spot. And, and then, uh, you know, Christmas morning is just, oh, wow, you know, kind of feigned surprise. Because I just had to know if I was getting what I wanted. At that point, it was He-Man stuff. Remember Masters of the Universe? I wanted the He-Man stuff. But uh, today we're talking about, do you know, there's a line from a classic Christmas song we sang last Sunday. It says, do you know what I know? Do you know what I know? A child, a child shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Today we're going to look at the Christmas story from the perspective of what it allows us to know. What do we know from looking at the Christmas story? We're going to look at it a little different. We're going to look at the book of John version. So go ahead and be turned over to John. We're going to be in John for a bit today. John chapter one. And, uh, you know, this is a big place. It's kind of dark in here. I can't see you all that well. So if I say something that you agree with, give me a little Christmas present by saying amen. Amen. God is good. I, I, I can't wait to go to heaven. So you're warming up a little bit, getting a little better. OK, John one. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. Or your footnote will say, understood. The darkness has not understood it. Skipping down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, Christmas is not about a cute little baby in a manger scene. You know, we love that, but that's not what Christmas is really about. It is God, the creator of the whole universe. It says here, there's nothing that has been made. That wasn't made by Him. He came into His creation as a human being. That's what the Christmas story is really about. It's a really amazing, amazing thing. Uh, my kids, after they get old enough to start asking questions, you know, sometimes they ask some pretty tough questions when it comes to theology. You know, and they're asking questions about uh, how does this work? You know, how did how is Jesus God's son, but He's also a human? And how does this work? How does the incarnation work? He didn't use that word incarnation. But this is a pretty complicated, deep theological thing that many men have, have debated and, and written about. And it's hard to really understand. The way I explained it to him, uh, which I thought you know, kind of helped myself, you know how you try to figure it out for your kids and then you help yourself, uh, was he at the time loved his uh, little Game Boy and he played this game called, um, uh, what's the little, uh, the little character... Uh, it's not a, it's not a, it's a hedgehog, Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog. Sorry, I lost it for a minute. Sonic the Hedgehog. So he loved to play Sonic the Hedgehog. So I kind of said, well, what, what if, Jameson, what if you had uh, created Sonic the Hedgehog the game? What if you had uh, invented this game and you designed it and you wrote all the code and, and you decided that you wanted to enter the game that you created as yourself? So you go down there and it's you. It's, it's what you think. It's how you... It's the way you reason. It's you, but you're in the game that you created. That's kind of what it's like that God, who created all things, He became part of His creation. My son's kind of like, oh, okay. 
I'm kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. That helps me understand a little better. But that, that's what Christmas really is. It's God of the, of the cosmos, God of the universe, becoming a human being. And not just any human being, but being born to just a regular person. A poor teenager living in a hick town. There's no room even for him in a, in a house. So he, he's put in this place that where, where you put food for animals. That's the Christmas story. It's really amazing what God has done. Uh, don't turn there, but I'll throw it on the screen. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through who also whom He made the universe. See, it's the God of the cosmos. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You know, the Christmas story is God in the flesh. And I love verse 14, back in in John where we are. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. We've seen, you know, when you see Jesus as a human, you see the glory of the great God that created the cosmos. And there's a couple of words that we're going to talk about today that are in the Greek. You know, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. I don't speak Greek, but I can, you know, figure stuff out a little bit. And, and sometimes going to the Greek, it helps you understand it a little bit better because that's what it was originally written in. So John, John wrote this, the, the Apostle John. There's, if, you're, if you're not familiar with the Bible, there's four accounts of Jesus in the Bible. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the Gospels, which means good news. There's four stories. The first three were written earlier, and John was written much later after the other three. And so... As he's writing his gospel, he, he kind of focuses on a few things. And, and you kind of understand from, from the, as you go back and under, read the history, why he focused on a few things. And there's a few words that he uses that are kind of interesting in the Greek, a lot in the book of John. The first one is logos, is, is the Greek word logos. And we might recognize this from words like logical or logistics. Uh, it means uh, rationale. It means uh, uh, your worldview, the way that you reason, the way that you understand things. It, it, it's your knowledge and how you put that knowledge into practice. The exact uh, definition I found was... Let's see here, where did I put it? Bear with me here, I'm lost in my notes. Oh, here we go. Principle of order and knowledge. It's a word he borrowed from Greek philosophers. Principle of order and knowledge. That's what logos means. And so when it says the word became flesh, what's been translated word in our English is logos. So it's God principle, God's knowledge, God's understanding becoming a person. Isn't that kind of cool? It's not just the word, it's not just like his spoken word. It's his reasoning. It's his knowledge. It's God's knowledge becoming a human. And that knowledge was there at the beginning. It says, through that knowledge, he created the whole universe. And that knowledge became a person, the Logos. Another word that's in uh, John a lot is gnosis. Gnosis. Uh, and what this word means is to know, but not just to know, to really know. To know inside and out. And, and uh, there was even a, a movement that happened in the early church called Gnosticism. Which was this idea that the way to... The, the way that to be saved and the way that to, the way to, the good the good thing to do was to find some secret mystical hidden knowledge and that would make you 
you know, a better person. And, you, you know, there's, there's no taste of this in the New Testament that this was happening, like where Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's what he's talking about, is just people that just want to kind of get this inflated ego and this, this, they're searching for this mystical head knowledge. And, and, and what John, it's almost like when you read his gospel, he's trying to say, he's kind of talking against Nazism. It's, it's, no, this is how you really know. This is how you really, really know. And the title of our lesson today is Do You Know? And it's, it's interesting that that word is in there a lot. So we're gonna, we're gonna kinda come back to that. But this is amazing that you imagine God as a human. And don't you want to know what he has to say? I mean, if you were able to talk to God personally, God takes human flesh. I mean, wouldn't you have some questions you would want to ask? Wouldn't you? Isn't that really all that life is about, is understanding what is God and who is God and what does He really think? That is so important. And yet, people, when Jesus came to earth, a lot of them didn't really listen to what He had to say. A lot of them shut their ears. And so this series has been about open your ears, open your eyes, be willing to really hear because it is the light that's come into the world. And so those of us in darkness, we've got to open ourselves up to that light and be willing to hear what he really has to say. There is a rise of technology in our world, and this is known as the information age. And so when it comes to knowledge, you can find out a lot of information really quickly. You know, nowadays, you know, you're in a, at a party or having a discussion and you're like, yeah, who was that guy in that movie again? And somebody with their smartphone, you know, has the answer for you within like one minute. Oh, that was, that was this person. And it's this random actor. Why? Because we have this access to information that's so quick. And it didn't used to be like that. I mean, I graduated in 1989, so I remember the 80s. I remember before the internet. I remember it was hard to find information. Uh, those of us who, uh, who were around in the 80s might remember these commercials. I just want to play a little bit of this commercial from the 80s. Is it going? I love that music. What's the shocking ending of the new Star Trek movie? I want to know. Why is battling a TV preacher for millions of dollars? Why was Sally Jesse rushed to the hospital? The story of a heart attack drama is a mystery inquiry. How can gossip make you happier? Find out in the <laughs> Can gossip make you happier? Like me. Inquiry minds want to know. I want to know. You know, you think about what do you want to know? I, I love that. Oh, whoops, now I'm going to. Hey, let me go forward. Sorry. Inquiry. Uh, what do you want to know? You think about that, that stuff that's in that commercial. It's pretty meaningless. You know, I don't really care now about what caused Sally, what happened to Sally Jesse, and I forgot about Sally Jesse. You know? I don't really care about what happened to Oprah and her lover. You know, back in the 80s. You know, these things that seem so important. You know, I got to know. I want to know. You know, they're so meaningless. But if you think about it, if you could ask God, what do you really want to know? I mean, think about it for yourself. What do you really want to know? I mean, I think, is God real? I think most people want to know, is God real? What's he like? Does he hear me? Does he understand my daily life? What does the future hold? Uh, maybe even how much time do I have? We might not want to know exactly when the end is going to come or how it's going to come, but, but we might want to know how much time do I have? 
what should I do about fill in the blank? Is heaven real? Is hell real? What, what's it like? These are deep questions that only God can give us answers to and only His... And we're going to look at a few of these things in the book of John. It's impossible to kind of give all that Jesus came to show us in, in, in a short, you know, 30-minute time here, but, but we're going to, going to look at... My, my goal is to point you in the right direction and that you would open your mind and open your heart to discovering what does God really want to tell me about these deep issues that are super, super important. They're, these issues are ginormous, to use Elf's word. Elf is the best Christmas movie. They're, these are ginormous implications with these questions. Number one, be careful what you think you know. Be careful what you think you know. John chapter 7, let's, let's read there in verse 25. It's not going to be on the screen. So if you were lazy on the first verse, can't be lazy anymore. You've got to flip in your verse. Uh, give me an amen when you're there. John chapter 7, verse 25. It says, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. And when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. So you, 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 are you tracking this word no is in there a lot? Do you know him? I know him. That's, that's that word gnosis that I was talking about. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering th- such things about him. Then the chief priests and Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. This is so interesting what the people think they know. They're so sure. That they're like, oh, we know what the Messiah is going to be like. We know that no one will know where he comes from. He's going to be this mystical figure. He just appears out of nowhere. This guy, we know him. We know where he's from. We know his family. We know his brothers. We know his mom. We know he's from Nazareth. He can't be the Messiah. Where did he get all this learning? You see that in, in chapter 6. How, how is he talking about all this stuff and he, he never went to school? We know this guy. He can't be the Messiah. And then they're saying, well, I know he's doing miracles and stuff, but he can't, the Bible, we know that, that the Messiah comes from Bethlehem and he's not from Bethlehem. He's from Nazareth. 
so this can't be the Messiah. You know, they're arguing and they're, they're so sure of what they think they know. First of all, with the Messiah, they, they were, they, they had these misconceptions of the Messiah. and they, they assumed that he would be a military figure. They assumed he would be, you know, this guy who came to great uh, political prominence. And Jesus was just this poor man. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. So they, they, were, they were off about some stuff there. With Bethlehem, they were right. In, in fact, the scripture in, uh, in Micah, oh, I don't want to give that away yet. Maybe I didn't put it in there. Let me read it to you. Um, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So there is this passage in the Old Testament written hundreds of years before Jesus that says the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Hey, <laughs> got to hear that one more time. Quarry, minds want to know. Uh, and so, so this was a part of a plan that God had all along. And he kind of revealed little bits of it through the prophets. And it did say hundreds of years before that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. It said, from you will come one who will be ruler over all of Israel. But they didn't think to, to check into it and understand that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was, he was from Nazareth, but his family went to Bethlehem because of the census that they had to go back to the city of origin. And so that's why they didn't have anywhere to put the baby because they were traveling at the time Jesus was born because they were traveling because of a census. Are you with me? So that's why we have the whole story. But they, they, they just didn't look into it well enough to even know. I mean, that would have built, built their faith, wouldn't it? If they would have looked into it further and gone, oh, he, he was born in Bethlehem? Oh, wow. Then connect, you know, the connect the dots. But instead, they just kind of make judgments about what they think they know. And, and this happens a lot in, in Christianity. People have so many opinions about so many different things. And people have so many opinions about things that they, they, they're so sure they know, but they have never studied. I mean, people believe this about God and that about God and this about the dinosaurs and that about, you know, whatever. And they've never really read the Bible or never really checked it out. It's amazing sometimes I'll have a conversation with somebody and I've been reading the Bible a long time. I mean, I've been actively studying it for about 25 years. I've read it all the way through. Uh, I'm not the most biblical you know, scholar there is or anything like that, but I've read it a lot. But I can be talking to someone who's never read it, that has such strong opinions about things, that, and they come down so hard on issues that I'm not willing to come down hard on. I'm like, well, there's this angle and there's that angle. But they can be so opinionated about it. It's just funny to me that people can be so sure about what they think they know. I remember uh, talking to uh, this, this guy when I was a new Christian. I was in high school. And I'd just become a Christian, and I was learning, you know, what the Bible said about different things. And I'm talking with this guy who was religious that was a friend of mine in high school, and he, he was arguing with me. And he wanted to argue with me about baptism. People love to argue about baptism. And it's funny how people are so sure about things that aren't really much in the Bible, like the rapture and, and the king, you know, Jesus' reign on earth, or the millennium, and and what happens when we die, and, and all these things. That, they're not really clear, but people want to be sure it's, it's like this. I know. And yet things that are really clear in the Bible, like baptism, or how you become a Christian, or what Jesus expects of, of the lifestyle of a Christian, or how we are to live as Christians, those things people don't want to make a stand about. And yet there are certain things Jesus was really clear on, and certain things... He wasn't really clear on but We've got to kind of align ourselves with what, what does the Bible really say. That's what we can really know, and that's what we need to really focus on, right? 
But anyway, I'm arguing with this guy, Ryan, about uh, baptism, and I'm, I'm, I'm just looking up in my, uh, the back of my Bible is like a concordance. So I'm just looking up baptism in there, and I'm looking up verse after verse, and I'm like, oh, these are really good. And I'm reading him these verses, and we're kind of arguing, and I didn't realize at the time how unproductive that can be to argue about that stuff. But finally, kind of towards the end of our conversation, we're, we're talking over the phone, and he says, you know what? Stop reading me verses. He said, you couldn't make up a verse that would make me change my mind. And, and that shows you kind of right there where people are at sometimes. It's like they've already decided firmly what they think they know, and they're not open to, well, what does God want to show us? What does God really say? What does His Word really say? You know, being religious is not the same as knowing. Being religious or having a form of religion is not the same as knowing God. In fact, in, in Matthew 7, there's this story where, where, where at the end of time, there's many people who will be surprised. And they'll say, what? We did this religious thing. We did that religious thing. We are not making it in? And, and God says, I never knew you. You didn't do the will of my Father who is in heaven, Jesus said. It, it, it's not... You know, we, we've got to make sure we align ourselves with His revealed Word, with that Logos that came to earth as a human, we've got to align ourselves with that knowledge. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Because just being in church doesn't make you a Christian. Any more than being at Taco Bell makes you a taco. <laughs> or being at Guitar Center makes you a musician. And, and I wanted to, to show you this. You saw it already, but I just got to say that there is a difference between Guitar Hero and actually playing guitar. Being able to play Guitar Hero does not make you a guitar player. Okay, there's a difference there. And even if you've got an, you can get an incredible score on Guitar Hero, does not mean you can play the guitar. And that's the way a lot of Christianity happens. It kind of looks like Christianity. And maybe it's fun, but it's not what you see in the Bible. It's not the real deal. So we've got to go back to the real deal. We've got to be humble, be careful about what we think we know, and be open to what, what does God really say. Number two, how do we know? Okay, so how do we know? How do we know? I, 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 I don't want uh, to be off track, so how do I know? And there's all kinds of ways you can get knowledge nowadays. And people think a lot of things about a lot of stuff, and... We live in an age which is called postmodernism. What that means is modern thought was, okay, we can figure things out. We can, we can study. We can use science. We can determine. We, there, there, there is an answer for everything. Postmodernism is kind of like, well, maybe, the, maybe ever, the truth is relative. And maybe we can't really know anything. And, and, and so things that are like known facts from science are given an equal footing with uh, mysticism and, and wacky, you know, uh, crazy ideas. You know, it's all kind of up for discussion. That's kind of postmodernism. And, and you see that in the world around you, don't you? I mean, pe- people might have these real strong opinions about, uh, uh, about scientific issues, but then they also they follow astrology and they take that, you know, or the, the fortune cookie, they really believe it. Or, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, how can we know? And there's people that believe in science and say, well, science has the answers. That's all I need is, is, is science will give me the answers. There's a guy in a movie that I like that said this. I'll just show you a quick clip. I don't know what you always have to be 
You know, a skeleton. He said, I, I, are you judging me because I believe in science? And you hear that nowadays from people. You hear that sometimes. I, I believe in science. Science has the answers. Well, I read this uh, last week. This is, from earlier, uh, this is from earlier this year about dark energy. I just want to read a little bit to you. This is, this is the cutting edge of scientific thought, okay? This is the cutting edge. And I'm not a scientist, but I love to read. I love to act like one. You know, I love to <laughs> read science stuff because I, I really enjoy it. So this is the cutting edge. It says, That mysterious force came to be known as dark energy, and to date nobody has figured out exactly what it is. All astronomers know is that dark energy seems to make up more than 70% of the matter energy content of the universe. The rest is mostly the equally mysterious dark matter. Ordinary matter, the stuff that stars, planets, and people are made of, amounts to a couple of percent at best. Let me read that last sentence. Ordinary matter, the stuff that stars, planets, and people are made of, amounts to a couple of percent at best. What that's saying is, yeah, the universe is huge and it's full of stuff, and we know what about a couple percent of it is. The rest, we don't understand. It's energy. We just, they just give it a name. Dark energy. What does that mean? We don't know. That's about 70%. And then the 30% is dark matter. What's that? We don't know either. But this couple percent, we, we kind of have that figured out, what, that, what matter and energy is that we all understand. I mean, that's amazing to me that science, after all that we learn, all we discover, we don't even understand about 98% of the universe, of what it's even made of, what it even is. Isn't that amazing? And I love science, I love scientific discoveries, but we cannot find, we cannot find the source of knowledge there. And even the things that science has shown us, for sure, is that... You know, science has proven, it's shown us, the universe began. That's what they, you know, it's amazing. It was this amazing thing. The universe had a beginning. And they, and they, they celebrated it and they were amazed at it. All matter and energy began at one place at one time. Wow, that, that's Genesis 1-1. <laughs> And, 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 it's, and you can see the background radiation. It's called like, like the, the, the leftover reverberations of that act of creation. If you look in any direction in the universe, you see, still see the echo of that act of creation. The universe began at one place at one time. That's what's really been proven. I mean, that's square one with God. Science can't tell us, well, why did the universe create? They, it can't tell us what's before everything was created. Because time itself was created in that instant of, of creation. Time is wrapped up in the fabric of the universe. Time and space are all part of the same thing. It's all this fabric of creation, and that's all we really know, and, and we really don't know anything. Are you with me? We've got to go to God for these answers. And in, in John 8, let's go to the next chapter. How do we know? John 8, 12. I'm going to read some more dialogue here. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know, there it is that word again, I know where I came from and where I am going. 
But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with my Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself, and my other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says where you go, I cannot, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know. There's that word again. Then you will know that I am he, and that I have done nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has told me. The one who sent me is with me. He has left, not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, this is really cool. You know, this word gnosis is in there a lot. You know, the word know. Uh, it means to know, to really know. It's like, it's like not, not playing Guitar Hero. It's like really knowing how to play guitar. That's gnosis. Are you with me? And he says here in, in, in verse, uh, this last verse we read, in verse 32, verse 33, if you hold to, which mean, it, it can also be translated remain in, if you remain in my teaching, and the word that's translated my teaching is logos. Remember that word from the beginning? The word became flesh. Principle of knowledge. If you hold to, if you live in, if you remain in the logos, then you will know, gnosis, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How do we know? We know by remaining in that logos, in remaining in Jesus. Jesus came as God, as a human, and we know what God wants us to know by following Him. I know, you know, that's not revelationary. Oh, really? But, but are we living that way? Do we live our lives like that? Like, okay, this is all I need. Is Jesus and His teaching and His Word and a relationship with Him. That is going to tell me all that I need to know. That's the way to knowledge is, is through Jesus. He says at the beginning here, we started reading, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We live in this postmodern world where nobody wants to offend anybody and everybody, oh yeah, there's many, many paths and all truth, you can find truth in all kinds of places. Yeah, that's true. You can find truth in a lot of places. But Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was very, he drew a line right there. And I think we can shrink back. We don't want to draw lines. Well, who am I to judge? We, we are nobody to judge. We're not supposed to judge. But Jesus is the one that said he's the only way. 
And so if that's what he said, and he is God as a human, he's Logos as a man, then we've got to take him at his, at his word. We've got to draw the same lines that he drew. And we've got to be willing to take stands for what he took stands for. Amen? And there's certain things, you know, he says, you will, if you hold my teachings, then you will know the truth. If you hold to the Logos, then you will know this. Then you will know. There's certain things about Jesus you will never know until you start living it out in your life. You know, you can approach Christianity going, I want to kind of check this out from a mental standpoint. I'm open, and I'm, but, but, but when you, you, you will never get it. You'll never get it unless you really start to live it. Put it into practice. Just things like sacrifice. Things like uh, the, there's joy in suffering. You know, things, things like understanding what he meant by giving up everything. What he meant by turning the other cheek. What he meant by uh, denying yourself. What, you know, it seems like, what? If you, he says these things that, are, that seem kind of crazy on their face. If you lose yourself, you will find yourself. Whoever is first will be last. Whoever is last will be first. If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you will find it. Those kinds of sayings, are, they don't make any sense until you start to live the Christian way. And then you go, oh, I get it. You know, through sacrifice, through suffering, through hardship, God shines and, 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 and that I'm purged of my evil and I'm restored. And, you know, you just see all this stuff when you start to really live it. When you're faced with a decision and you do it God's way. And what you find is the more that you live Jesus' way, the more that you get it. And the more you know the more it becomes true to you. And, you. and you see that God's way works every time. There's all these things the world lifts up. There's all these things the world esteems and values. And they don't work. But God's way works every time. The things the world values and esteems and champions and lifts up lead to emptiness and heartache and hardship and destruction and devastation in human lives and families. But the things God lives up, lifts up and values provide meaning and joy and contentment and peace. And more and more of it. Can you imagine being more joyful? Can you imagine being more at peace? More, more deep-seated contentment in your life? Having more impact, being more and more grateful. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's fruit in your life. It's becoming more and more and more like Jesus. More faith, more hope, more love in your life. You know, it's the only way to, 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 to true knowledge. It's the only way to what we're all looking for is through hearing the word and retaining it, living it out. Steve met, uh, told the story a couple weeks ago of the parable of the sower. And there's these different soils, and, and hopefully you, you were here, and if you weren't, check it out in the Bible. It's a great, great story. But the, the last soil is the one that hears the word and retains it. Remember, Jesus said, hold to my teaching. If you retain that word, if you live it out, it becomes your life. Then you'll bear all this fruit. For those of you who are, are, are new to this or who are studying the Bible or who are visiting with us, I just encourage you to get the Bible open with somebody else here and, and you will see amazing things. It's, you know, I, and I love studying with somebody who's never read the Bible before and you read these verses that those of us who've been around a while have read so many times and you see them read it and they're like, wow, it says that? That is amazing. And then you get amazed again. But that's what we do. We just read the Bible with each other and we talk about it in our lives. That's what this church is all about. We are Bible people. We don't thump the Bible, but we live the Bible. We want to live the Bible. We want to, we're not perfect. We're, we're, we've got a lot of mistakes, but we're trying to 
form our lives according to that logos, according to that knowledge. Are you with me? And if you've been around for a while, I think we can slip into just kind of being religious and sort of going through the motions rather than the Bible, the, the Word, the Logos shaping our lives. We're remaining in the Word. You know, we can become like that thorny soil where we're, we're choked. We're still alive, but we're not fruitful. We're still here, but we're not seeing God multiplying things in our life because we're choked by what? The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. All these other voices choke the Logos. They choke the Word of God. They choke the principle of knowledge that came to earth as a baby to show us how to live. Are you with me? So I think even this is a perfect time of year to, to make sure that we don't let materialism and greed and, and other viewpoints you know, choke us. We've got to watch how much media we let in. I, I love watching movies over the holidays. But I've got to read my Bible too. And some spiritual books, and I got to make sure I take prayer walks, and I got to make sure I have time with God, right? Don't let the, the stuff choke us out. We got to shut out those other voices and drink deeply of the Word of God and a connection to Him. Amen. Um, and, and I want to kind of show an illustration here, and I need a, a volunteer, preferably somebody from the teens. Can I get a teen to come up here? Okay, come on up. Come on up. I can't really see. Is that Mika? Come on up. Didn't she do an awesome job last week? I could totally hear her voice on the radio. I mean, she's like better than anything on the radio. We've got we to gotta make a Mika CD. Okay, so, Mika, I want you to try to guess what is in this box here. You can shake it. Yeah, if you, I, I, I'll make that deal. If you guess it, you get to keep it. Got any guesses? Uh, any, any questions? I can give you a hint or two. Is it plush? Is it plush? No, it's not plush. Uh, no, it's not a toy. Is it it's not technology. So, so she could. We could go on on this for a while. We won't. We won't make you sit here through this. But we could go on. Asking questions, is this, is that? And that's what people do with Christianity sometimes, or with the Bible. Like, they will have a lot of opinions, and they have a lot of questions, but they never, how are we going to know what's in it? You've got to open it, right? So go ahead and open that for us. You can, you can go nuts. I mean, just, yeah. This, this, this is the, uh, this is the, the, the best present uh, at our, our white elephant exchange for the staff two years in a row. It showed up the first year. What it is, is it's this little desktop eagle uh, statue. You can, you can keep it, Mika. Yes, you can keep it. She says her dad will love it. Yeah, that, that was, everybody was trying, once, you know how white elephant works, once it gets open, everybody's trying to not get it. And that was attached to this little teddy bear, somehow they were together. And so my family, you know, we had something that we liked, I think it was movie, there's movie tickets, there's Starbucks cards, there's all this good stuff, and then there's the eagle. So, so we, we had like Starbucks cards and candy and movie tickets and somebody stole it from us. And so then... What happens when it gets stolen from you, then you get to steal from somebody else. 
And so my daughter, you know, we're doing this as a family. And so my daughter, the eagle is over there along with this little teddy bear. And so we didn't consult as a family. She just runs over there and grabs the eagle and teddy bear from somebody else. And everybody said the look on her faces. Me and Dustin are like, no. So then we're stuck with the eagle. It's like, who is going to want this eagle? Ah! But then, God bless her, the, the, the Marichi's daughter, Shay, she stole the eagle from us just to be nice. Such a Christmas act of kindness. And then she gave Cora the teddy bear. It was so nice. Such a Christmas memory. But now you get to have the eagle, Mika. But, but the, the only way to really know God is to unwrap the present He gave us. We've got to open the Bible. We've got to use it in our lives. We've got to let the Bible shape us. That's how we know. Last point, let the world know. Let the world know. John 17. You with me? Okay, last point here. John 17, verse 13. Still not very fast with my uh, iPad Bible here. Okay, John 17, verse 13. This is right before Jesus is going to the cross and he's praying. And so this is a recording John made of his prayer. So they must have been in hearing of this part of his prayer. And so this is Jesus talking to God. He says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word. That's logos, okay? I've given them your logos, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them for it. For they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Logos again. Your logos is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So, so he's praying. When he says them, he's talking about his followers. That, that he had at that time. He says, my prayer is not just for my followers, but for those who will believe in me. He knew that this is a much bigger thing than it was at that time. So he's praying really for us, because we are the ones who've come to believe based on the message of his followers. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know, gnosis, then the world will know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you've sent me. I've made you known to them and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. There's a lot of good stuff in here. You know, verse 14, I have given them your logos, the principle of knowledge and, and, and order. 
God's knowledge passed on from Jesus to his followers. And, and so he says, I passed on, I passed it on. May they be one to let the world know. Jesus is praying for unity. The key to letting the world know, verse 23, is complete unity. We've got to remain united. And if there's anything that, that defines the story of Christianity, if you look back over 2,000 years, it's disunity. It's division. Satan knows that's the way he's going to bring down the church, so he constantly tries to divide us. He constantly tries to keep us from coming together and being united. And so in this church, what we really are trying to do, what we are praying for, is to unite Christians. To to call people out of denominational Christianity just to a simple faith in Jesus and and a following of His Word. That's why we... We say we're non-denominational. That just means we're, we're trying to just be Christians. Just the Bible. Not, not all these different traditions or not this view of that and that view. Let's just put all of our, 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 our weight on those things that the Bible is really clear about, that we can know, and, and let's call others to that simple faith. And, and that's what Jesus prayed for, that they could be one, that they could be united. Unity, though, it takes work. And you may have already seen ways that Satan has tried this year to divide in your family or in your Bible talk, or here in the church. And we've got to constantly be rooting that out, constantly be not letting that take hold. If you're visiting with us, uh, we have what we call discipling partners. And that's where we get with other people in the church. And we want to make sure everybody has at least got one person that they can get with consistently just to talk about their life and how they're doing. For the couples, it's usually a couple, you know, where one couple gets with another couple and they talk about their marriage and talk about their kids and talk about what's going on. I think in a lot of cases, we've kind of let those relationships, you know, kind of get loose. Or we're not getting together like we need to. And so this is a great time to hit the reset button as we go into 2012. You know, with all your relationships in the church, just hit the reset button. You've got to forgive. Jesus said, unless you forgive, He won't forgive you. So there can't be anyone in the church you don't forgive. And we've got to hit the reset button and go, I'm going to go after some great relationships in 2012. I'm going to be united. I'm going to... I'm going to make new friends. I'm going to be open about my life. I'm going to really connect with others. And in verse 25, he says, verse 25 and 26, again, there's that word gnosis. He says, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. You know, we don't have to have all the answers, but we have to know where all the answers are. I don't know everything, but I know who does know everything. I know where the source is. I know that my Redeemer lives, as we sang earlier. I, I know that. I know that this, I know He is real. And I know I can trust His Word. And so we can pass that on to other people. And we've got to pass it on. That's why Jesus came. It's so that we can pass on from one person to another to another. That's, that's Jesus' vision. He's on the way to the cross. He's only got a few hundred followers. And yet He believes this is going to be a worldwide church. He has a vision of it beginning a worldwide church. Um, the, the, uh, I appreciate Sergio and Jimena uh, that lead our Spanish ministry. And they started a new Spanish ministry. They, they had their, their uh, ministry there in Carson. They started a new ministry on the west side. So we have two Spanish ministries now on Sunday. So if you know anybody that speaks Spanish, we've got two Spanish uh, churches now. And they made a decision in, in their ministry. They're going to share their faith every single day. Meaning, every day I want to open my mouth and tell people about God. Maybe it's an invitation to church. Maybe it's talking about how God has worked in my life. But every day I want to have this goal of sharing my faith. So Sergio and Jimena, I appreciate it. They, they were going out to Target to do some Christmas shopping. And they prayed a specific prayer. They said, God, please, here, here at Target, please let us meet somebody who's open 
who's wearing red. And, and then they, they try to make their prayer even a little, little more challenging. They said, and doesn't work at Target. <laughs> Let us meet somebody open who's at Target and, doesn't, and wearing red and doesn't work there. And so they're on their way out. They, you know, they, they haven't met anybody yet that's, uh, that's open. And they, they see this couple and they've got a little, little kid. And, and uh, they just start talking to them about their little kid. And Sergio and Jimena are trying to adopt a child. So they're talking about kids and stuff. And, and then they just invite them to church. And they, they start telling them about their ministry, and, uh, and the guy starts crying. And, and just, they open up their lives. Now, they've been through a lot in their marriage, and some real tough challenges in their marriage. And they're, they're like, we, we need this. You're an answered prayer. And they came to church the very next Sunday, and they started studying the Bible. And they're studying the Bible right now. They're probably going to become Christians. I mean, the world is filled with people like that who are looking for, looking to know. They want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. But we've got to tell them. We've got to let the world know. On your way in here, you'll see a sign uh, up above that door over there. It says seating capacity. Anybody know what it is? 1511. So I want you guys to start praying. Every time you come in that door and you see that sign, I want you to pray. 1511. God, give us 1511. You know, give us 1500 people at church. May God be able to fill this place with people who want to know. And it can happen if each one of us is doing our part. It can't happen if just Steve is sharing his faith, or just Sergio is sharing his faith, or just Elias is sharing his faith. We've all got to do our part to let the world know. We've got to have that vision of, of filling this place. We've got plenty of parking now. You don't have to walk uphill for ten minutes to church anymore. Amen? We meet on Sunday morning. It's a lot better for families that have school the next morning and stuff. We get, we've got no excuses, you know? Let's bring a lot of people to our church services here. You know, there, there's, as we close here, there's something amazing about the Christmas story. I love that the whole sky fills with angels and they're singing and they're, they're dancing and they're rejoicing and they're, they're saying, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men on whom His favor rests. This is good news for great joy for all the people. You know, this huge display in the heavens. And who was it for? A few little shepherds out out way out, way in the outskirts. Bethlehem was way out of town. You know, that was this little town way outside Jerusalem. And they're way out from there in the fields. And, and this huge display for just these shepherds. What was God saying there? I think He was saying that the way that He works is he's, He doesn't go straight to... He doesn't, you know, book time on, on cable and, and, and go straight to the world. He tell, talks through individuals who talk to individuals who talk to individuals. It's kind of this quiet thing that goes on. You know, there's this huge Roman Empire and these Caesars and all this stuff going on. And, and Jesus' movement is just these few poor people. And yet they change the whole world. And so God is doing something among us. God is doing something right under the noses of the rest of the world. God is redeeming humanity. That's what the Christmas story is about. And, and I pray that God would use me, God would use you, to really change lives one at a time. Good news, for great joy for all people. Amen? Amen.